0: Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, by Pastor Tim Barone. Uh, Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, If you don't already have a Bible open, go ahead and open a Bible. Uh, John chapter 6, page 892. Uh, And we're going to continue in this deep conversation that Jesus is having with that great crowd of people that gathered around him uh, after he fed the 5,000. And so we've been following the Gospel of Mark for most of the summer, kind of discovering Jesus' identity, seeing him calm the storm, walk on water. Uh, Here we kind of have zoomed in on this conversation Uh, from Jesus as he's talking to the crowds that have followed him after the feeding of the 5,000. He does not feed them again. So this great crowd comes and tries to find him and they're hungry. He does not feed them again. Instead, we get this conversation where he seeks to convince them that he is living bread that has come down from heaven. So as we look at this, I want you to see kind of the controversial nature of Jesus' words, why they're unsettling, uh, what Jesus does when people are unsettled by his words, and I want to, you to see at the end how uh, this story and grappling with these words ends in both uh, tragedy and triumph. And so let's dig into this, uh, this text together, uh, beginning uh, verse 51 Jesus is explaining to them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's a fair question at this point, isn't it? As Jesus is saying, I'm this bread, and you know what? I'm going to give you my flesh to sustain you so that you can live forever, and they don't get it. But what I want you to see is what does Jesus do uh, when the crowds are confused, when they don't understand his words? Does he walk back his comment or carefully explain it to them really slowly? No. In fact, whenever Jesus says something that's difficult in this passage and elsewhere, he never backs down. Instead, he doubles down. Right, so look at what he says. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, if you are looking at your Bible, just put your finger on that word, unless. Unless. I want to suggest to you that this is the most offensive word Jesus uses in this passage, unless. Because he takes this conversation out of a hypothetical teaching um, and he presses it into the hearers and he's making a category. He's saying, unless you're in this status, unless you're eating and drinking this body and this blood, you have no life in you. You're in the status of being dead we're on the way to being dead. Now, why is that difficult? Because it just lays it out there. He just says, if you don't have this gift, it's not neutral. There's nothing neutral about this conversation. If you don't have this gift and this gift alone, if you're not feasting on this bread that has come down from heaven, uh, you're going to die. Right? It's not an option. Um. It's unsettling because he makes such a strict black and white statement and category. And so the people struggle with this, but he continues to press this into them, pressing in this promise that whoever feeds, in 54 he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It sounds good, but the people don't get over These difficult sayings. Look what they say a little bit later as he continues to teach them this this teaching. In verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This is a hard saying, and who can listen to it? But notice again, does Jesus back down from the teaching? No, again, he doubles down. Verse 61, he says, But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? As the disciples are offended, what does Jesus do? He doesn't try to chase them and comfort them and explain it nicely. He just pulls the authority card. He says, if this is offending you, how offended how much more offended are you going to be? When you see me ascending back to the Father's right hand, because that's where I came from. There's really a veiled threat there. He's just saying, hey, if you don't believe this, you're really not going to like it when I'm the king. So Jesus presses into this. Why does he insist on this conversation, pressing it into us so forcefully uh, and without apology? Uh, I think it's because our natural way of thinking absolutely clashes with us. Um, I remember when I first went off to college, um, many of you might be in that situation right now, but when I first moved to college, uh, I moved away from my home, away from my family, my friends, and I went to a city down the street, down the road called Pueblo, and I lived in Pueblo for a time and I went to school, and I remember when I first got there at, at Colorado State, I was so excited, uh, I, so focused, and I remember all these details. I remember going and seeing my dorm room, this awesome dorm room, and uh, my roommate and I had these big plans to make lofted beds. It was going to be the best dorm room ever, you know, um, and excited to meet all the people on my floor, trying to hang out with them, make a good impression, Uh, let them know that I I was fun to hang out with and being really excited about that. I was considering trying to go out for the soccer team, so I was really focused on that. I remember going to the bookstore and just being shocked at how much money I was going to have to spend out of pocket on books, and so I remember being really focused on money and I have to find a job now, and all of these things were on my mind, but you know what? The last thing that was on my mind, it didn't even enter my mind. (laughs) was how am I going to be fed by Jesus? It was the last detail on my, I didn't even, it wasn't even in my uh, universe to think unless I eat the flesh of Jesus and I, unless I drink his blood, I'm going to die in this situation. And so that year ended up being a really hard year for me um, and I ended up leaving that school after a year, and I don't didn't really understand what was happening at the time. And while there was good times, uh, there was also this this slow spiritual death I was experiencing as I was away from the church, and I was away from that place where Jesus had set up for His people to be fed by this precious gift, His body and His blood, His words. Jesus tells Peter later in the Gospel of John, you, Peter, go and feed my sheep. Go and give them this gift. Make sure they feast on me so that they don't die, but they live. And for me, that was just nowhere in the picture. And so it wasn't until I I came back home and I got reconnected with my church that I once again felt alive and realized what was going on. It's like, huh, all that time, Maybe Jesus was right. Can you believe it? Uh, And I felt a a revival of my spirit as I heard these words of promise once again. And I feasted on Jesus. And everything he said to me and everything he has done for me in his body and his blood. But I want to suggest to you, and the scriptures do later, that this is not the general way we think. In general, especially in affluent North America, we think, I have life in me. I have life in me. And if I really need it, I'll find Jesus when I'm hungry. We flip the equation. Jesus says, unless you eat what I give to you, you are going to die. It's that important. It's absolutely the spot of your life that is non-negotiable is his body, his blood, his words for you. And we think that's the last thing on my list. That's the last box to check. As long as I have my career and my setting and everything that I want and my friend group as long as I have all that stuff, I'm sure Jesus will fit in there in the side. We kind of treat Jesus like jello at the end of a big dinner. Like it's always going to fit in there somewhere, right? <laughs> but Jesus insists that He is the main course, right? He insists that He is the most important meal you can consume, He is the most important factor of your life that apart from him there is only death. Uh, 1 John says this uh, even more clearly, he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus also says this just early in John chapter 3. He says, anyone who does not believe in me is condemned already, for he has not believed in the one and only Son of God you see how striking those words are, how offensive they are. They're offensive because we don't want to believe it, and we don't want to think that way. They're offensive because it calls us out for our mismanaged priorities. Uh, They're offensive because it's saying that apart from Him, you have nothing. Of course, we want to insist, no, I have all kinds of things apart from Jesus. I, you know, people can follow any path they want and they'll find out where they want to go and they're the masters of their own destiny and Jesus just says, no, everyone who walks away from this gift is walking away from life itself. It's that simple. Um, You know, every conversation I've had um, with Christians who are leaving the church or leaving the Christian faith All of those conversations, as I've been trying to gently bring them back into the light and into the words of Jesus, all of them are some kind of variation on a theme. I just don't think I really need Jesus at this time. That's it. And so the devil creeps up on people, not looking like a demon, scary, obvious. But often he creeps up on people in the form of good opportunities, good blessings, good things that take the place of Jesus and displace him in our lives. Uh, And it's a tragedy. And that's where these words go. Jesus continues to press these words into people, press them into the crowds. Why does Jesus press this so strongly and never back down? The reason is because he knows this is a life or death reality. He doesn't back down. He doesn't apologize. He just doubles down because he knows he is the only food that can give eternal life. He knows that his flesh is the only flesh that can save you from death. He doesn't want you to die. And so he's willing to offend you. He's willing to bother your conscience. He's willing to stir you up so that you see the reality. Don't be a fool, he says. Apart from me is only death but in me is life. Uh, Jesus knows that his flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, his flesh conceived of the Holy Spirit is your only hope. And to walk away from that is to walk away from life itself and to incur condemnation that was already yours. He doesn't want that for you. And so he says, listen, listen. I have come down from heaven to give you life and there's no other way. I am the way and the truth and the life. Every other path leads to death and I am the only flesh that will never die. I am the only flesh that can give life. Just as God the Father gives me life, I'm the one who can give life And you must believe these words or die. He knows that his work upon the cross, his flesh nailed to the tree, his flesh raised from the dead, his blood shed for you, is the only medicine that can cure your terminal disease. And so he is adamant that we hear these words, that we feast on them, that we believe them. Many people. They struggle with it, and in this text, the whole crowd leaves. Can you imagine? Uh, Jesus is like spilling his heart, right? He's giving the people this message from God. But what happens? They say, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? And most of them leave. 5,000 people, a huge church filled with people. They walk away. Can you imagine the heartbreak that Jesus would have felt that day? As the people that he taught, the people that he spent time with, some of them had seen him heal diseases. These people walked away and he realized that they were walking away into death. That they were not going to be in the resurrection. That they were walking away from the words of life themselves. Jesus would have felt this crushing reality that, all his work on the cross would not benefit these people that he loved and that he served. And it's the same heartbreak that he experiences today. Uh, when people walk away from church, the, the most haunting word, I think, in the last section that we just read is this in verse 66. It says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. His disciples, insiders, right? Believers. So it is as well uh, today. As people who who know the Lord, have heard His word, have feasted on His goodness and His mercy, they say in their hearts, who can listen to this anymore? And I'm just going to leave. And I want to say carefully, there, there may be some of you here who in your hearts have said that. That say, I'm actually going to walk away from this Jesus. And I would just beg you to, to hear again what he is saying to you. Not to walk away from these words. There's no life away from Jesus. But at the same time as there's a tragedy that strikes to our very core in these words, there's also this beautiful triumph uh, in this passage too. So I, wanna, I want you to see that. In verse 66, Jesus says, Uh, sees all his disciples walk away, but in 67 he turns to the 12 and he says, uh, so Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? He asks his close disciples. And Simon Peter just pulls out this gem. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Just as you imagine Jesus' broken heart there, can you imagine his elation and his joy as he hears that confession from Peter? As God the Father revealed the true identity of the Son to Peter and to the disciples, and they say, "Uh, Lord, we believe that you have come from heaven. You are the Holy One. And Jesus, looking them in the eye, realizes that these people, by the working of the Spirit and by faith, will be in the resurrection with him. That all of his labor would not be in vain, but instead what he set out to accomplish would be accomplished in their lives as they believed, and he raised them from the dead. And they would be with him forever. Yes! This is the will of the Father. This is the will of Jesus that you would believe these words, look on Jesus, and have everlasting life in his holy name. And it's the same joy that he feels today as we trust his words, as you believe what he says, as you look to his cross. It's the joy of Jesus looking upon us and saying, These are my people. I have died for them, and I will raise them up. You know, in the midst of all the controversy of these words from Jesus, Uh, we can miss the beauty of them, of the promise. And I want to direct you uh, towards, in in particular, one of Jesus' words of promise today. I want you to look back with me to verse uh, 53, when Jesus first gives that very controversial word. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. But whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you hear the promise? I want you to notice something. That's a present tense promise. Are you believing these words of Jesus today? You have eternal life. Not only is it coming to you in a fulfilled form when Jesus takes your hand and raises you from the grave. But as you believe, as you have faith today, it's as good as done. Because God always keeps his promises. And here Jesus promises, if you're eating my flesh and my blood, you're trusting me with all you have. You have eternal life today. So don't be afraid of death anymore. Don't worry about the twilight of this life. Don't worry about the tragedies of this life so much. You have a word from God. And if you believe in him, he will raise you from the dead. And that promise is yours today and forever in the person of Jesus Christ. May God the Father continue to reveal to each of us our great need for Jesus so that we might believe in him and obtain this wonderful promise from his hand. In the name of Jesus. Amen.